Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to Caged In Presents Copla Connections, as ever brought to you by the Breadcrumbs Collective and hosted by me, Petros Patsilavus. For those of you who are uninitiated of what we do here, we watch every single film in the collective Copla family filmography to determine are they the greatest film family of all time. I do not do that alone, however. I'm joined by a lovely guest each week and get their input to uh, find out on this film alone are they the greatest film family of all time and the film we will be discussing this week which we'll get into in a bit more detail just after this brief intro is uh, the house bunny from 2008 and i will be joined by dave corkery from the fantastic cine mile podcast so yeah stick around for that as ever we will be discussing this film in all of the scantily clad details, we will be pulling out that centerfold of this film and getting right into it. So if you haven't seen this film, go out and watch it. Don't go out and watch it. It's still a fun listen. Anyway, we get into uh, a lot of fun stuff, whether it is uh, what this film could have been, perhaps, with the pedigree of the writers. Uh, we even talk about the initial script plans for this and Anna Faris as a kind of entity. Yeah, we go all over the place. So... I guess that all that's left to do is to get yourself over to your local sorority house, become a house mother, get kicked out of the Playboy Mansion, and get into some hijinks, whether it's getting sexy, smartening up. But one thing that we must do whilst we're here is make some Coppola Connections. So this week, unfortunately, we've been kicked out of the Playboy Mansion to discuss the 2008 Happy Madison College comedy, The House Bunny, directed by Happy Madison regular Fred Wolf, written by Kirsten Smith and Karen McCullough Lutz, and starring Anna Faris, Emma Stone, Colin Hanks, 
Kat Dennings, Rumor Williams, and boast cameos from a plethora of Adam Sandler's pals. Uh, Playboy Bunnies and renowned sleazebag Hugh Hefner. Today's Coppola connection, uh, a very tangential one for this film, a very, a very minor role, is Matthew Shire, who worked on the film as a production assistant. So joining me today to decide if the Coppola family are the cinematic centerfold material or just the flavour of the week is one half of the award-winning cinema podcast, Dave Corkery. How are you, Dave? I'm great. Thank you for having me. Uh, I'm sorry the other half, the no. better half, couldn't be here. No, it's, it, um, but she she had a prior arrangement and also refused to watch <laughs> the second half of this movie. She got she got halfway. Yeah, we'll we'll we'll, we'll, we'll get to it. I've, I I I I I I already a little little uh, insight for this is I already know Dave's thoughts on this film. I, I feel like I'm and I'm going to say it, say it up front. I think I'm slightly warmer on this film and maybe. I don't know. I've, 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 Great. I'll, I'll provide a counterpoint to yeah, that. I, try, I, I, try, I tried to be nice. Um, I found it. So I mean, I, I mean, I'm the one who chose it. So the, it's yeah, all on me. Yeah. The, yeah. Yeah. The onus is very much on you, Dave. I'm going to, I'm going yeah. to, yeah. Let, let it weigh heavy on your shoulders. Um, it was really tempted to say your, say your name as well in the Anna Faris voice throughout this film. Every time she says <laughs> someone's name, so Dave, uh, which is <laughs> a good running gag. I, I will give. The, there's a f- there's a few really good gags in this movie, and that is one of them. Yeah, there is some stuff as well that is aged like milk, like uh, in regards yeah. to the time this film came out. But we'll we'll get. Is, is that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We'll say we'll save it. We'll get we'll get to <laughs> all of that. But before before we do, um, yeah, tell us a little bit about the cinema. I'm sure many people have listened to it before and are aware of what you guys do. But just in case people aren't, what? What is it? What is it you do? Just so we can get to know you a bit, Dave. Well, we um, what do we do? We it's pre- it's a very simple premise, really. Uh, it's myself and my wife Kathy uh, just record our walks home from the movies. So we go to the cinema, we watch a movie, and then we on the way home we switch on a recorder and we get our very instant uh, reactions to that, uh, along with you know all the usual. Uh, uh, traffic traffic stops and nice. uh, uh, people occasionally deciding to yell into the microphone and dogs barking and all the sorts of chaos that uh, that happen. And yeah, we know we've been doing it for uh, six years now, and you know we've been very fortunate to uh, win a few awards and uh, get some nice nice press. And we've just uh, yeah, we absolutely love love doing it. And the other great thing is we've gotten uh, just love being in the podcast scene, mm-hmm. and we've got to meet meet some. Uh, Great people like yourself and uh, uh, many others. We've got a lovely little community going, so the, the podcast film crew. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. A lovely little corner yeah. that we all need to snuggle into as, <laughs> as Twitter collapses. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what to do at the end of podcasts anymore. Like, what social medias am I supposed to be uh, promoting anymore? Am I supposed, <laughs> yeah. the, the ones that I've signed up to in some sheer uh, desperation, just in case twitter crumbles around beneath me i don't know this by the time this airs who knows it could this could be really dated or kind of really prescient for for how things are going we don't we we don't really know at the moment he'll have bought mastodon and ruined it by then as well. oh yeah 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 i've i've had i've had a go on mastodon and i feel like i I looked at creating a server and i watched a youtube video that involved involved writing code and i was like you know what it's too much i'm out i'm out i'm out i'm out you need a whole team for this um well, before we talk about the house bunny today, Dave, um, I wanted to know how you became aware of the Coppola family. So what was your entry point? And then when did you kind of, 
realized like a, like like a sorority house there's there, there's there's loads of pledges there's kind of pledges coming in left right and center throughout the family as it were there's a loose metaphor to relate to this film um yeah what's your, what was your <laughs> entry right. point to the coppola family what would the what would the coppola house family uh sorority house be called the cop copper copper zeta copper zeta batters copper friend the frenzy Francy coppers the, the Francy 40 coppers yeah maybe yeah, yeah. <laughs> 40 coppers yeah um my first uh my first entry point was pro- was it's probably it's a really boring answer but it, it is it is the godfather uh at age uh 15 i reckon i was where was i yeah so two yeah, it was around 2000 around the turn of the millennium y2k and you know dvds were becoming a big thing and i said to my parents i was about uh you know, six, 15, 16. And I was like, can, I, can, you get me, can you get me one of these new DVD players, please? Um, because I wanted to obviously put on the Matrix, right? Yeah. Because, you know, it's the first one we all bought. Um, and then, you know, then the, uh, the, the compulsion began as a, you know, as a, as a, as a budding sort of, a, or fancied myself a bit of a cinephile. So I started to write, uh, just buying binge, bo- binge box sets and, uh, you know, Big, do you remember we used to get like just great big collections of you know yeah. trilogies and series so i got a lovely godfather trilogy and i'd never seen it it was on my um my shame list until age uh 16 and then i don't think popped that, her in that's not much of a shame list right that's it's 16, not too bad 16, yeah. I've got, not i mean bad. i'm nearly 40 i've got wait i've got loads of stuff i still haven't seen um the and yeah i was just blown away really mm-hmm. by um by the Godfather, it's just absolutely drawn into it. Um, you know, it flew by. The characters are so compelling, and the performances—it feels so epic and mm-hmm. and grand, and then yet so like small and familiar in in, in places. Um, and then yeah, stuck on number two. I wasn't. I know a lot of people consider that to be like one of those rare, like this better than the original. Mm-hmm. But for me, it wasn't wasn't a patch on that that first one it, it, it it's a very different beast and it's got a bigger canvas mm-hmm. but i mean like for me that first godfather is a complete story right right to that you know that door closing at the end yeah. just feels like a perfect closing point for me and they, they, I, i'm probably the, the 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 one person who shouldn't and i think i've admitted it elsewhere before but i'm not the biggest fan of the like Oh, like the flashback stuff in number two. Like it obviously De Niro's great it's, and stuff. Gets in the way a bit. Yeah. And I've got I've yeah. I recently ordered a VHS copy. It's the only way you can watch it. That in the nineties they released a chronological cut of all three movies. Oh, yeah. And there's part of me that's like, I know I need to watch it just for the 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 sake of it was released and it like the part like to 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 crown myself. Do you know what I mean? Doing this podcast. I need to of it in, and it's got deleted yeah, scenes added to. back in or whatever but i'm like oh that's gonna be like 45 minutes to an hour maybe of just like I don't know. just right Bob, bobby d eating fruit and wandering through market yeah. Nicking. <laughs> people are screaming at us now because i mean they they are good it's a great performance but yeah i mean it's it is it's a less it's a less tight sort of a film for me so yeah, that I mean, and then yeah, less said about the third's better. But that so that was my yeah, that was my sort of relatively standard entry point to the to the uh, to the couple of family. When did you realize that those like other members was there like a per, like well yeah the dominoes start to fall like did you realize like how long ago did you realize Cage was a member of the family or like Talia Shire 
was it, was that around the same time as watching The Godfather? Because obviously, she, yeah, she's in those movies. Uh, yeah, no, I don't. I did not know watching them at the time um, that um, the Talia Shire relation. Um, I think I was. I think when I got into the Rocky films a couple of years later mm-hmm. and absolutely adore them, I think then I started to dig into um the the background of that and then i discovered oh talia shires you know related to 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 francis um and then i think so that was probably the the next one and then then it was lost in translation mm-hmm. right which i think was such a huge success and uh, a success <laughs> very sean connery there um and um that really i think i was at the right age for that again what year was that 2000 and one, two? 2002 two two yeah i was saying yeah i'm sort of a sort of an angsty teenager mm-hmm. and sort of i really i really like you know you you start <laughs> you, you you start to get into sort of a moody melancholy mm-hmm. vibes and it was it was very very cool and i was i'm a huge ghostbusters fan and so there's just this like different perspective on bill murray was very appealing and then yeah so discovering that was when i yeah i, I hadn't um um naturally heard of uh sophia until that movie and then it was like what well you know her surname was was a giveaway um, <laughs> and uh and then yeah i'd say and then it was schwartzman mm-hmm. was the next one i heart huckabees uh again i was a yeah, big fan of sort of quirky existential uh uh comedy at the time i doubt i doubt that movie's aged very well i um, recently covered that on the podcast and i watched it for the first time and my my thinking was i would have loved this at the time but now i just found it quite irksome it kind of felt like being yeah lectured by an a-level philosophy student (laughs) yeah i could i could definitely see that but to uh it felt absolutely revelatory to me as Uh a a, you know as an 18 year old yes um and that's kind of it and then i and then naturally all you know they all started to as you say fall like dominoes until we got to Matthew Shire, who I just just discovered when you invited me on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, he's got he's yeah. he's got a kind of very small uh, IMDb of kind of interesting little tidbits here and there, just like and just all over the place. It kind of and and I guess we can touch on nepotism as we go through this episode because it seems to be uh, a f- a few a few a few nepotism babies in this film as well. But uh, yeah, Matthew Shire kind of pops up like doing punch up writing on Shrek Forever After or it's like <laughs> yeah. it, all, all types of things or as a worked with the Coppola's on their TV series, uh, Jason and Roman Coppola's TV series, Mozart in the Jungle and stuff like that. So he's kind of quite quiet, but quite an interesting little career, I guess. Like, yeah, and he's got a, oh, he's got a TV, he's got a mini series coming out this year that he, he was a writer on. So good on, good on Matt, Matthew Shire. Yeah, kindred. Yes. Yeah. So he's got. Yeah, it's, it's hard to sort of pin him down, yes. really, as a, <laughs> isn't it? Right, because he's got some writing credits, some sort of produ- um, producer kind of credits, um, and then for this, he's a production assistant. And I'll be honest with you, uh, I, I googled what a production assistant actually does, um, and this is exactly what Google told me. They, they are responsible for printing and distributing scripts, running errands for directors and producers and relaying messages between other members to ensure everything runs smoothly from start to finish. So he's, he was a runner, basically. Yeah, it can, it can be, yeah. I think it could be all, all type stuff. I've uh friend of the podcast, Matt Brothers, was uh, 
I think a, a runner or like a production assistant or something, and basically on Stardust had to just hold a door closed in the soundstage because it was really noisy when people opened it. So you need to make sure that, <laughs> that, that no, nobody nobody interrupted Robert De Niro as he's performing a scene, basically, with a, with a creaky door. <laughs> Love it. Um, so have you ever met a Coppola, Dave? I know it's, it's an odd question, but stranger things have happened, right? Um, I'm afraid not. Uh, I would love to. Yeah. Yeah. Well, obviously, I would. It's, it's kind of it's it's, it's quickly become You'll get my life's goal. That's where that, that's that's where it's all leading to, Petros. Right. That's the that's the end game of this podcast. Oh uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, it's, it's me kind of like stepping into Francis's office and then like do you know what I mean being sat sat down like the end of the godfather and kind of like <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm there turning to my family like don't ask me about my business as, as, <laughs> as, as the fanfare plays I guess yeah that's yeah yeah that's that's, that's where I'd like to be <laughs> um so well I think I know the answer to this question and it's not going to be that long ago but or, or, or it may be this film exactly. Um, yeah, what would have been the first uh, film you would have seen that Matthew Shire had something to do with? Um, it was it's probably this film, The House Bunny. I think I think I might have seen uh, Shrek Forever After. Oh no, no, no! Hang on, Airheads. I think oh, I saw Airheads. He yeah. was additional crew. He was the, the you know contributed a lot as the additional crew on uh, on Airheads. That's prop. That's probably it. A, fi- a, a film that has another Coppola connection. So John Schwartzman, Jason, and uh, Robert's older brother was the DOP on that film. So I imagine it would have been like Talia would have been like, "Can you get Matt a job as well? Can you get <laughs> can, can <laughs> Matt come along? Your little brother. Yeah, 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 yeah. Can, <laughs> can, can, oh, mom. <laughs> He'll just make the tea. He'll be fine. Just, just, give, just give him something. It's, it's kind of perfect as well because it's looped back to Adam Sandler. So, and uh, obviously he's a producer on the House Bunny, uh, our kind of main event tonight. So let's, yeah, let let's talk about that. But before we do, here's the trailer. Being centerfold is the highest honor there is. It says, "I'm naked in the middle of a magazine." Do it, do it, you do it, do it. Hi, half, hi, girl. Hi, Shelly. Looking good. Shelly was living the dream until she did the one thing a bunny should never do. She got old. But I'm 27. But that's 59 in bunny years. What's wrong, baby? Okay? You sad? Sad monkey? I'm going to need you to uh, low on this. I guess. I was just doing what he said. Like a mini Playboy mansion. Now, this is a school. This bunny is going to teach these girls. Everyone thinks we're losers. I'm a bunny. Men write to me from prison. The tricks of her trade. I really want to help you guys because I know I can do it. Shelly, where's your robe? I'm just walking around in the body God and Dr. Borkman gave me. This here is harmony. Harmony. What is that? This thing I do to remember people's names. Natalie. Wow, you hired the exorcist. Listen. She'll clean up their act. The eyes are the nipples of the face. And turn this house. I can make you the hottest girls on campus. Upside down. Are you okay? These glasses don't make me dizzy or anything. Sweet balls! We are going to have the most rockin'est party. 
Sometimes helping your friends together we can do anything is the best way to help yourself. Give me some mm. of that. Mm. Oh, yeah. Why are they acting like that? Boys just being boys. Thank goodness. Anna Ferris is the house bunny. I think I dropped some money over here. Ah! And it's freaking hot! Just you and your so this film was made on a budget of $25 million and had a box office return of $70.4 million and was released August 22nd. 2008. Dave, would you do us the ultimate pleasure of telling us what, what the House Bunny is all about? So, Anna Faris uh, plays, what's her name here? Shelley Darlingson, uh, who is a Playboy bunny um, who is kicked out of the Playboy mansion due to a series of comedic grievous errors <laughs> and then uh, finds her way to a local uh, university or a college, as they say in uh, in America, um, and becomes a house mother, which I didn't know was a thing mm. until this movie. So I learned something from the house bunny. So uh, apparently uh, sorority houses have a house mother who is an older uh, female who sort of helps them. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> still, I'm still unclear as to the duties of the house mother. Um, what, what do they do? They, they sort of uh, help they're ment- mentor sort of figures, aren't they? And they help yeah. them drive pledges and things. And- I, I, I guess, like, for a lot of teen college dramas and stuff like that, they leave out that kind of clerical role from them because normally, like, they, yeah. they show it just to be raucous and fun and, like, to add in somebody who's like, I actually look after the accounts and like make sure make sure the <laughs> yeah, exactly. shopping's done. Like they, they... And also I'm significantly older than all of you. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. It would it would just be a bit odd. Um so yeah, then it says yeah, she becomes uh, uh and then she sort of uh, I think the the plot is basically uh you know she helps this sorority. It becomes a very classic college movie then. The sorority they're they're the they're sort of uh down and out sorority house that's about to lose their funding and she helps them find themselves and turn the house around mm. you know that kind of thing so one of the things i find like I, I thought was quite interesting about this film is the fact that the, the writers of this film as yeah as i mentioned earlier um karen mccullough lutz and kirsten smith kind of Good have pedigree to, these two yes that 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 that, that, yeah. that that's something i wanted to kind of touch on quite early and it kind of i wanted to pose the question quite early as well like do you think that this has been happy Madisonified in a in a way because if you kind of look at their <laughs> yes their other <laughs> I do <laughs> yeah no you're dead right because the these um these two Karen and Kristen are responsible for it's funny because we were watching this I was watching this with Kathy my wife and um and it was the first first watch for both of us and I said to her this is this is trying to be legally blonde that's what it felt like mm-hmm. it was trying to replicate for me. And these two, Karen and Kirsten, wrote Legally Blonde, mm-hmm. um, or they adapted it for the, for the screen. And they are also responsible for 10 Things I Hate About You. Yeah, yeah. Um, so two very good and successful rom-coms in, in a similar vein to this. And this does feel like it's in their shadow massively. And I think, you, I think you're right, um, Petros, either, either um, there's been some interference from from the sort of the uh the sort of the the grown-ups grown-ups two camp um to sort of broaden it out a bit or take you know sm- 
what's the opposite of smoothing out the edges? Yeah, <laughs> just, just making the edges a bit rougher. Just putting um, in a load of Adam Sandler's mates as well, just kind of in like bit part roles yeah. and stuff like that. Like Nick Swardson, you know, you're in for a bad time when he turns up on, in a film. I know, right? And I think the the, I, I, the other thing I I suspected was that. Those two successful movies, Legally Blonde, Ten Things I Hate About You, both sort of adaptations are based on some source material um, and then sort of punched up, whereas this is an original um, pitch. This was an idea that they came up with and pitched to um, was it, uh, to Adam Sandler. It was originally uh, like pitched by Anna Faris to them, who had this kind of, which sounds like a, a, a lot more like a hard-hitting movie, because her initial pitch was a story that revolved around a Playboy model, like returning to the Midwest and falling into drugs, which would have been like a massive departure for Anna Faris at that time, who I guess for most people would have been famous for the scary movie films, right? Like that was kind of where everybody knew or knew her from as Sydney. I can't remember if, if, that, if that's her character's name in that, but like the kind of the, the, the Sydney avatar for those, for those movies. And I I can't help but think from reading that 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 they've gone to Adam Sandler and his camp, and they they must have been like, well, rewrite it here. Do you know what I mean, like, have a have a weird animal attack at some point. We've got to have some kind of <laughs> weird nipple <laughs> yeah. play. Like uh, Shaquille O'Neal's got to pop up for 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 a cameo for some reason. Um, yeah, a lot of that stuff just doesn't land, doesn't it? It feels like it needed to. It's like they, they. It's like they looked at it and said, "This needs like the the comedy set pieces, right?" So we got to have you know because I think we're still in the era off the back of uh, American Pie. We're ten nearly ten years on from that, but I think that movie had such an, a profound impact on the next ten years of U.S. comedy that everything had to have a big gross out hilarious scene or some sort of you know hilarious sort of um fish out of water moment and this movie attempts a few of those so there's a you know there's a scene where um Anna Faris has like glammed everyone up and she's given them the makeover and we're past that and all the girls are looking like look looking like you know quote unquote you know sexy you mm-hmm. know like conventionally attractive and and then they go to an old folks home and then all their heart rate monitors start going it's like, <laughs> oh no and then um and then there's like oh we're going to have a dance scene now and all the and they're going to dance and all the old people will be dancing and i feel and it's just so flat and i feel mm-hmm. like on paper they must have been like oh send them into an old folks home hilarity will ensue but then they didn't really do any of the work to make that funny mm, and there's it, there, there is a version of that scene as well that is played really tender and sweet. Like there is kind of like, <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like there is a kind of, and it's them adjusting to the old folks and like, do you know what I mean? Going in and kind of dancing to the, to the old timey music that they're playing and kind of like, and you would probably have like a, a good comedic moment from like an old guy, like making some kind of remark like that. The, there's that guy who's like, I, I ain't dancing. And then it's like, oh, like, well, we're dancing. He's like, oh, sign me up. Like, he's oh, kind of I'm, I'm dancing yeah. too. Yeah, I mean, it's just like, I think that's the problem with a lot of the comedy here is just for, for me, I found it right way too broad. Um, and I, and I, I think I should say up front, look, I think you, you teed it up. Like, I didn't, I didn't enjoy this film. I didn't think it was very good. But the, um, 
it is, I think, quite beloved. I mean, you know, you and I are in a, a, mm-hmm. a shared WhatsApp group and uh, we mentioned we were doing this and all these people came out of the woodwork to, to, to defend this movie. And, you know, I was scrolling through the letterboxed reviews and uh, today, a lot of people really rate it. And I, and I feel like um, one of the reviews summed it up really well, which was that I love this movie so much, but every time I see it, it gets a little bit worse. And I think it is a movie that has not dated well. And much like we were talking about with I Heart Huckabees earlier, if you saw it at the time mm-hmm. and you're at the right age and the right spot, and this is with so much of you know, um, media and entertainment, if it just reaches you at the right point and it connects with you and you're, you're probably a teenager in your early 20s and, and it is 2008 mm-hmm. when, let's face it, things were very different and you could just enjoy this for the light sort of fluff that it is and you can rewatch it a few times on DVD and it becomes a sort of a treasured part of a nostalgic part of your, your, your memory or your history and it means something to you, then look, all the better mm. for you and all power to you. But for me, this is not a good movie. <laughs> I, I think to that point of like, yeah, catching this at the time, because 2008, we would have been living in a, a, a film landscape pre kind of like broad comedies that were very female centric and kind of like, I don't know, kind of allowed women to be messy. And like, I just think what, two years later, we get bridesmaids that kind of like really turn the dial on mm. what you could do. and. From watch because I, I I watched this years ago. I can't really like pin when it was. I don't I don't know why. I must have been doing like a Happy Madison watch through, like a absolute psychopath that I am. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you masochist. Yeah, yeah. So I think in in the kind of uh, in the kind of milieu of all of that, it looked oh, it's, it's 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 not a Rob Schneider led vehicle. So it's great. Do you know what I mean, it's not like it's not. Oh yeah, there's worse. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. This, is de- <laughs> this is definitely like mid to top tier Happy Madison. Yeah. Uh, but I think it's almost like such a shame that this wasn't made later. If they had kind of, if this, if that script they had kind of kicked about, because you could imagine someone like a Judd Apatow reading this a few years later when he's kind of got the cachet and clout mm. and either finding like an interesting female director to do it or, or like, or someone like Paul Feig, who seems to be like this uh, just amazing, like, feminist director who seems to like get the best out of like female talent like and it th- watch it again as well reminded me of a film i'm not sure if you've seen it. i think it's called like life of the party it's a what's her name melissa mccarthy film which is a similar premise where she goes back to college and tries to like becomes the life of the party in like a, a her daughter's sorority and stuff like that and i like i was going I- is that and I say that's a very different film to this, right? Yeah, but it's it's not good. It's still not good. It's <laughs> it's kind of it's kind of low it's kind of low rung Melissa McCarthy, you know, and like I think after Bridesmaid, she kind of got like slotted into loads of different like comedies, being like, Yeah, just 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 do this, do Tammy, do do whatever you want yeah. kind of thing. And that was one of those kind of a a bit a bit of a a bit of a dud one. See, I think I think it's really interesting that you mentioned Paul Feig and and Bridesmaids, and I think they're two really good references because, well, it's a kind of one one yeah. you know that's uh, one of the same. But the um, that was a turning point. You're right, and it's right after this, and that that and the wave that followed felt like we were seeing finally kind of real female voices in comedy. 
right? Because to me, despite the fact that this is written by two women and is starring a range of very talented women, this feels very male gazy. It feels very through the male perspective. Like if you told me that this is was directed by the Farrelly brothers, I wouldn't have been surprised, mm-hmm. right? And it's a shame really that my wife Kathy couldn't have joined us to provide the female perspective because I'm very aware that we are, oh, are yes. two, two, two old dudes talking about 2008. But nonetheless, uh, the, we are where we are. And, and for me, it felt like the, the message of the movie was trying to have a very positive message, but not quite landing it, right? Because it does... You know, um, because I, I, am I good to just spoil it? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Who cares? Just... Who cares, right? I mean, so the movie very much does the, um, you know, Anna Faris's character comes into this uh, this house full of women who are basically very, they're they're outcasts. They're 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 too quirky and individual. They're either intellectuals or they're they're geeks or they're you know they have braces. Oh my god, mm-hmm. and glasses. Um, and so they just can't fit into this conventional sort of sorority world. They're being bullied. So she, Anna Faris's character sort of gives them the glam makeover and that's all kind of, kind of fun. And they become, and then you get that sort of, you know, she's all that moment. They're walking down the street, Mm -hmm. hands in hands and everyone's turning heads and they're like, wow. And they turn the house around and they become this incredibly popular sorority. And this is midway through the movie. So obviously you're waiting for it to come to a point where of realization where the movie is like, no, there's more to life than this. And then similarly, Anna Faris's arc is very much, she's trying to have a real relationship with Colin Hanks, mm-hmm. who's not interested in, uh, and I think that's, there's some, some kind of interesting stuff there, you know, on their date where she's talking about, I did laugh at this. She's just talking about her butt the whole time. And he's just like, uh-huh. Um, and so she's trying to become sort of, uh, more interesting on a, on, a, on a personality or intellectual level while and they're trying to become more sort of outwardly conventionally attractive and what the movie then kind of comes to the realization is that they realize oh we we've become super vacuous and we're judging mm-hmm. people only on their looks and that's not how life is supposed to be we've lost who we are but then instead of kind of just becoming who they are and becoming individuals they all what the the movie lands on this weird hybrid ending where it's like we can be ourselves and also be super conventionally attractive. And I guess, and I'm torn on this, is that a positive message? Or is that, because they, they all are, are just like, they look exactly the same as they, as they did I think it's, in the middle of the movie. But they like, but also Emma Stone's not wearing her fucking glasses and it drives me nuts. Why do, <laughs> why do people, why, why do people who have prescription glasses suddenly not need them anymore yes and 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 they're good looking that's the other thing that's the other weird that, sort of that uh, is the she's all that kind of revelation yeah revelation isn't it take off the glasses and all of a sudden like whoa who's that uh, girl <laughs> and i don't need these anymore it's it's kind of interesting to that point of you could see what the film is trying to do i just don't think it sticks the landing i guess it's that thing of it's okay to embrace some of those elements of, I don't know, like, con- yeah, conventional attractiveness of kind of, I don't know, I guess some people 
it's really difficult to say this without sounding like a piece of shit or, or do you know what I mean? Try, trying to word this in a, in, in a correct way. But I guess it's, I can, I can obviously, I'll, I'll, I'll speak from like personal experience. It's like, I've always been, I don't know, looked quite slubby and stuff like that. But over the last few years, I've started like, I don't know, I recently started going to the gym and I've like, and it's kind of all of that stuff I would have been dead against, like just the, of, of the, the people who do that do you know what I mean it's like that kind of like yeah oh, I'm not one of these like gym bros and stuff like that and I don't I don't know I rail against that and there's there's this weird thing in me like having a skincare routine was like a kind of like ugh. do you know what I mean not in like a kind of a weird masculine thing I was just like I don't know. Just did, did Mr. Universe move into your house and teach you all these things? No, no, happened? no. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I don't. I don't. <laughs> what's the What's the difference? Uh, yeah, the Playgirl, Playgirl. Uh, <laughs> yeah, hair. yeah, yeah. I guess instead of a bunny, it'd be a hair, wouldn't it? Uh, moved in to to teach. But it, it, I think it's that thing of like some people start like yeah. I started to realize that oh, some of elements of that aren't aren't as kind of. I guess it's acceptance, right, of both angles. I guess that's why I'm trying to get to it's it's the film is trying to go to that thing of well maybe those those people and it 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 doesn't really do it right because there's no like bridges built between the kind of rival factions until the last moment when you kind of get that the the kind of underling to ashley the kind of leader of the rival sorority who's like oh i'll join up with yours and it's kind of it's it's quite throwaway but but it, it that bothered me as well because it's just like it's not, it doesn't that 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 um statement means nothing because mm-hmm. she's it, it she stands up and she's like I'll join your crew um of people who are now exactly the same as our house is mm-hmm. right it's just like they they modeled their entire house on the conventional sorority house thing then changed all themselves then kind of just backpedaled slightly. And then, so it's, it wasn't a huge leap for her. All she did was just choose the more popular house. Yeah. Really? <laughs> yeah. And like, uh, yeah, I guess, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a difficult one to come, to come down on because maybe I'm giving the film a, a bit of credit and obviously really liking the writers. I'm really liking Anna Faris. Like, I do, I do think that she, she is great. She's, a, she's, a, she's very, very funny. Yeah. She, and like, I, yeah. I always feel like, I don't know something something must have happened where she's kind of she's not been given the career that or like do you know what I mean like I, maybe it is those scary movie films that whenever she went in for auditions or whatever they kind of said like oh we don't we don't we don't we don't need that energy and she's like no no I'm trying like I can do other stuff right guys and they're like and that that's that's why she probably when they pitch it uh happy madison with this film they go like right we've really got amp up the what you used to do anna do you know what i mean you've come to us with this idea of a film that's about somebody who leaves the playboy mansion and kind of goes back to the midwest and gets hooked on drugs let's take all <laughs> yeah. of that away and kind of make this let's take broad. all the interesting stuff yeah away. let's make it as broad as possible and kind of well they ba- they basically meshed it with this other comedy they had another script didn't they of a, a sort of a fish out of water house mother um and then they just meshed the two together and i think that's partly why we you know 
to to be fair, I think that, that as a concept, that's it's the the movie has a grand concept. Like, I mean, it it it's fine. That's not the issue. I think it's probably it just feels a little bit. It doesn't really amount to mm. to anything, and and I mean, there are just there are better college films, and it feels very conventional as college mm. films go, right? Now, but those beats that you get, those familiar beats, are satisfying, right? I mean, I I am a, a sucker for, you know. Um, we've got two days to get yeah. enough funding to turn our house yeah, around yeah, yeah. and all this kind of stuff. I, you know, I'm fine with that, but it's just like the movie doesn't, I think the, the movie's biggest sin for me is that it isn't funny enough. Mm-hmm. I laughed, you know, a couple of times, but the jokes, they throw a lot of jokes at the wall. They're all super broad, not particularly clever. The best line in this movie is that is the eyes are the nipples of the <laughs> face and that that made me laugh <laughs> that's very good that, that, <laughs> that, there's there's a line that I, I particularly enjoyed um when um oh who is it beverly d'angelo's character says to her like this isn't a brothel and she says, uh, anna Faris just says oh no i'm not here to make soup i, just, <laughs> yeah. I, thought, I thought that that kind of stuff's great like these kind of like um honest mistake she makes and like just the kind of like silly wordplay where she can't I, i'm going to mispronounce now she can't pronounce philanthropy oh, nailed it yes uh well, like <laughs> like that kind of running joke or like the stuff she does with yeah. her voice like i kind of i'm kind of enamored by this weird odd deep voice that she does like sometimes she she, she there's a there's that running gag right that we kind of touched on earlier where she just says everybody's name in this deep voice but she just that was so good do you know what that that really won me over though because that was so that's the opposite of broad that was so weird and like with no for no real context it was just like yeah oh this is what i do to remember but it just every time it kept coming back it was funnier um so yeah the movies can be funny but then most of the time it's like you know she goes on the date and dresses as the intellectual and she's like again wearing someone else's glasses because people who wear glasses are intelligent obviously and then is like tripping over tables and getting bubblegum stuck in her hair and you know none of that i thought was particularly well done or interesting right it's all just a bit yeah. and there's some really dated jokes in this film as well for when it came out there's a there's a forest gump gag in the middle of this film which kind of yeah feels out like really out of place 14 years after <laughs> forest gump came out yeah um yeah really lame and not funny like i mean how many times had that been parodied at that stage um and the um there was another there's some really offense i thought a couple of really offensive like jokes and i'm i'm okay with like ski you know teetering on the edge of um mm-hmm. you know like I'm, I'm comfortable with sort of south park uh you know pushing the, the boundaries of comedy and you either laugh at everything or nothing but there's just a very i don't know there's a casual date rape joke at the beginning of this movie yes. which really i like raised my eyebrows at because it felt like it wasn't very clever and it was kind of just making light of it do you know what i mean and on the like oh yes i've been date raped several times basically or i've been people have put stuff in my drink all the time yeah, no. and i'm usually not aware of it thank you for telling me i was like jesus christ and and this is yeah in the uk this is a 12 this is rated yeah so this is like <laughs> yeah and it kind of that felt weird it's kind of have 
have the edges been like ironed? I don't know. It feels like edges have been added on, but like they've also been, they wanted to keep that, what, PG-13, I guess it would have been in the States rating. But, yeah. but at the same time, wanted to push it to like a an R rating. It kind of, the whole thing for me feels like it's kind of stuck between a pillar and a post in, in a weird way of like, you can, if you squint, you can see, you can see the kind of makings of other interesting movies in there. And <laughs> yeah, I think ultimately what that does for me a lot of the time is go like my head starts going, oh yeah, they, they could have pulled on that thread and they could have like, they could have done this and that, that would have been really interesting. And like, I guess giving the, yeah, giving the writers and, and knowing their work as well, like, um, 10 things i hate about you is like fantastic really stands up to this day as well it's just like it's brilliant ultimately fun like uh legally blonde for my shame have, have not sinned but i know that's got like that still holds like a lot of weight with people and i, I believe that they're writing the script it's in pre-production for the third film of that as well so all oh, right so obviously it's, it's got the like going power that like it's coming back as well and from what i know yeah, of that, there's quite a feminist text as well there's talent there's so much talent involved in this movie and i think that's why it's so frustrating is because it just all feels squandered i mean the writers have have cred anna faris is funny emma stone is fantastic in this movie colin hanks is kind of just being nice and charming kat dennings is great you know there's 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 (laughs) there's a great ensemble cast you've got great writers so it just feels like and and a strong premise so i just feel like this should have been much much better than it was it just feels like it was phoned in i think the problem they have is that they had the director of strange wilderness um a kind of yeah which is i have not seen that to be fair which is yeah which is bad which is real bad like that is a that is that is a real stinker kind of um i like mockumentary just going for like dick and fart jokes constantly that has, that has aged far probably far worse than this and he directed them in the same year as well so it gets like something to me feels like his heart wasn't heart wasn't in it with this do you know what I mean like it's kind of like I just I, I just I gotta I gotta agree with you I think a lot of this does lay at the director's feet unfortunately so sorry Mr. Fred Wolf yeah and I guess there's there's elements of it that we, we won't know the kind of the the production rewrites that they would have had to have undergo and stuff like that. And I guess, I don't know. Not until you get Matthew Shire on the podcast. Yeah. That, uh, that, or, uh, try really dig into it. (laughs) Try and get, um, try and get Karen and Kirsten on to, to discuss this film, uh, very briefly. And then, then praise them for their, their work on, uh, (laughs) 10 things I hate about you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm just going to have a little brief, yeah, brief little look over my, my discussion points here. Um, yeah, you mentioned, you mentioned the cast, and we obviously, I, I mentioned it earlier about kind of uh, something I found interesting. I guess I've kind of developed this nepotism radar. Is Obviously, we have Colin Hanks in this, like Matthew Shire is obviously behind the scenes. He's arguably a nepotism baby. Well, it definitely is. And then we have Rumor Williams. We have Bruce Willis's... Uh, yeah, Rumor Willis. We have Bruce Willis's daughter mm. as Joanne in this film. I just find I, I, I always find I always find that interesting. And um, 
what did you what did you think of the gang of girls in this film as a whole um i thought they were i thought all the performances were very good um i thought they you know there's they, none of them really have a lot to work with they're all very you know broad broadly written they're all just types you know you've got the 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 nerdy girl the the sort of the weird girl the goth girl you know the, the, and and um then they all just kind of become the same literally the same they that's that's the plot they become homogenized by by Anna Faris so the, 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 so then it kind of they become less interesting i thought um one interesting point to me that i observed was that the one black character in this whole movie is mute this is mm. <laughs> the character is mute which uh is not a good look um until to have until the final act right it kind and it, it plays into that like almost like that that uh stereotype of like the the, the magical of do you know what I mean the magical black person in a film which is like yeah. a kind of like very dodgy trope that has kind of been wheeled out and this kind of thing of like she she is even in this group of other she is like uh, she she's the almost singled one. out as a, a, an other as well do you know what i mean in, in, that she doesn't talk yes because gasp she's british yeah 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 and it's like okay <laughs> i was like it, it's a fine gag on paper but it was just like it didn't really land that bless kylie williams did not have a good british accent <laughs> no there's there is a moment in this film of, of of all things to think about and it maybe is because i'm a massive brian de palma fan i couldn't help but think of uh the prom scene in carrie when she goes to deliver the let like the acceptance letters for all of their pledges. Oh yeah, it is like that. And there's that yeah. kind of deception of like intercepting the letters, putting them in the bin and then putting theirs in. And I was like, ah, that, that like you could see that in like, do you know what I mean? In the script, like that would have been like like I would like to think they're like, oh yeah, it'd be like a good little carry moment. But then like, I don't know. It just kind of when you're at that point, it's like, oh, we've got like 10, 15 minutes left of the movie. Do you know what I mean? It's <laughs> yeah, kind of and, like, now, and now you're engineering some plot contrivance. Yeah. It's, it's, like, yeah, yeah. And then, yeah, Anna Faris decides to leave maybe like 25 minutes before the end of the film. Like, it's kind of setting up this this big tension of her. Oh, and we haven't even got into the fact that she wasn't kicked out of the like the trailer suggests she's kicked out because she's old like the film kind of doubles back on that and kind of says like oh no it's because there's a rival play but and it's kind of there's too many oh, balls yeah. in the air isn't there of kind it's of because you because hugh hefner would never do that because hugh hefner according <laughs> to this movie is just a really mm. nice loving guy he's very very sentimental you know just sits sits around moping eating ice cream because his his best girl has left and you know he won't attend to the other bunnies and he's really heart stricken and it's all just a big bit of confusion but i think there's been a you know there's been a lot i think there was a really good podcast series kathy was telling me about recently on the inside of the the actual insides of the playboy mansion um through the perspective of an ex bunny and it yeah it's, and it is anything but the sort of rosy glamorous mm. Uh, picture that was presented around this era because this is the same era of the um that reality show right mm-hmm. um what was it called the inside the playboy mansion or something or bunnies are the 
I would have, whatever it was called. I would have been, I would have been probably prime age for that. I would have been eighteen when this film came out. So I would have, I, 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 I must have missed it, Dave, or I'm, or I'm, I'm playing my cards close to my chest. Uh, you'll never know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and I was kind of, I was a bit suckered and probably a bit of a fool to think at the beginning. I was like, oh, the, yeah, maybe this film's going to be like a damning indictment on on the playboy mansion and then i was like oh no it's got the involvement from hugh hefner and real playboy bunnies of course they're gonna come off the in great light like what what a fool i was at the beginning of this going like oh yeah <laughs> fuck the playboy mansion like they they maybe, are ageist and maybe in anna faris's uh uh drug drug addled uh, original script it could have it could have been a bit different yeah we could have had i don't know uh who would have who would have been a good surrogate for Hugh Hefner as an actor? Uh, I don't know. I'm trying to think. Uh, well, what they what they could have done is like done it like just created a a separate brand, not call it the Playboy Mansion, uh-huh. but just you know, and then yeah, as you say, just make make another character, and then you can be critical of the thing by you know making an an analog for it. Then I was just reminded of. Um, a similar film from a few years ago. Did you ever see The Girl Next Door with Emile Hirsch and Elijah Cuthbert? It's kind of got a relatively similar premise in that it's yes. a former porn star who moves into a neighborhood yes. and then that kind of strikes up a relationship with this young man. But that, that to me, had a lot more about it. Yeah. And I haven't seen this in many years than, than this movie, but feels like a sort of a similar premise of somebody with... You know, and uh, and and I think it was more willing to lean into the the sort of the society's attitude mm-hmm. towards sex workers, or I don't know if the Playboy Bunnies could even be considered sex workers, but you know that that sort of um, you know sex as entertainment, um, and that it kind of had more to say about it. Whereas this movie has nothing, mm. nothing to say about that except that Playboy Bunnies are you know, naturally adored by everyone. Yeah. I, uh, I'm not, I'm not sure where the film kind of comes down upon anything like, Oh yeah, it's got nothing to say. Yeah. Are we supposed to like, I don't know, like, cause obviously there's great films where like there's terrible characters, there's terrible people, but they're still entertaining characters. And like the film itself is kind of going, I don't know, like the Wolf of Wall Street, you watch that film and go like, this is entertaining, like, or, or, or however you feel about that film. It's like, but they are awful people, but there's something entertaining to watch. And the film is very much kind of going like, look at this excess. It's horrible. It's like, yeah, there's like, yeah, there's, and I'm going to, my dad's favorite film for all the, for all the wrong reasons. <laughs> I, I'm sure there's, there's, there's many like a, a London lad, like in, in their business suits who kind of like watch that film and go like, Oh, yeah. What an aspirational film! Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, I guess. I guess one of the most pertinent questions I must ask you before we before we leave this film, uh, Dave, is: What do you reckon the production value was on that Aztec party? <laughs> so, I'm so glad you asked me that because I written that down here as well. How mo- I wrote down where did they get the budget for this? Because like one minute, one minute they're like we barely have enough money or pledges to keep this house going. And then they do, I think they do a car wash and then they do a calendar, right? So I guess we are to believe that the proceeds of this calendar 
have been able to fund what I can only describe as like as better than Woodstock '99, right? Mm. This had it, it had like in terms of uh, in terms of organization, in terms of like uh, you know, uh, it had like a volcano, like they had a volcano that was a slide. Yeah. Um, you know, they they had an incre- incredibly uh, well decorated costumes, like full bar, everything. Like like I've I've worked in a. Um, in uh, I've worked on some uh, event management stuff uh, tangentially. And that stuff creates that's teams of people yes. <laughs> and like tens of thousands of pounds of budgets. I'm like, so yeah, absolutely farcical. Yeah, there was th- that moment I was like, oh, this, this is where a lot of the budget of this film h- has gone. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah, and I think this film as well. It I think it rivals Rocky Four for like montages as well. There are certain scenes where it kind of like. Mm. I think it goes from like them being made over um, and then them doing their kind of like coming out walk arm in arm straight into calendar montage. And it kind of like the film (laughs) very much plays in like a, let's have a little bit of exposition, like do a couple of plot points. Let's get back to the next montage. It's like, now it's Shelley learning, like learning stuff montage. Now it's kind of... (laughs) (laughs) Shelly not having a good time as a Playboy bunny montage. Like it's kind of just peppered with all these, all these kind of, yeah, like montage. Throughout but it. actually there's another failing of the movie is that, that montages can be super funny. You can pack in so many mm-hmm. quick visual gags into a montage. And this movie really didn't do the groundwork there either. Mm-hmm. Cause the, say the, say the, um, you know, Shirley learning, you know, uh, montage. That montage really, from memory, just contained her sitting in lectures, reading a lot of books, you know, <laughs> writing, reading more books. It's just like, you just did the bare minimum amount of work here, guys. You've just like, use make some fucking jokes, please. And it doesn't even, when they do the calendar one as well, it doesn't even play into the kind of archetypes and stereotypes they're playing with, with the different women as well. Like, you just see one of the girls like doing her. Do you know what I mean? Like uh, Miss October, yeah. I'm assuming, because like, are you a are you a good witch or are you a bad witch? And it's like, yeah. there's a great like throwaway line there. It's like the the house that's gonna fall on you is gonna be really sexy. Like, it's just like <laughs> yeah, that was funny. <laughs> and and there's something I think Emma Stone like is just all, especially around this era, just really charming and i guess she doesn't get to do it so much anymore but plays goofy and kind of like a like awkward really well and in this she kind of very much so she does it and there's that moment again in that calendar montage where she's like she starts uh she says that she's like you're a tiger baby and she's like oh i i I saw that in austin powers too and it's like just it doesn't feel like a hollow reference like the kind of Forrest Gump one it kind of it feels honest from that character that in that moment you would try and say something to g someone up and make them feel sexy and like your kind of reference point is like a all you've got is a film and it's like no this isn't me at all I've kind of had to borrow this kind of rhetoric from something I've seen as opposed to like yeah what I'm doing yeah her throughout the film I think like you just go, you kind of see it. And like, especially looking at it from when it came out, 2008, you go, like, Oh, you're going to, you're going to be, you're going to be great. Like this, this, this is just a kind of, this is a, this is a, a, a stumbling block on, on, on your way to, 
yeah, it's all it's all there, isn't it? Yeah. Like the talent's on display. But you're right about what you said earlier. It is a shame that Anna Faris has not been more, didn't get more of a career, and 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 hasn't been more tested in in roles, right? Because we never see a lot of range from her. I don't I don't think she's massively had the opportunity to to display her range. And I'm not. I haven't seen all her movies, but I do feel I do feel like like she's she she does one type of character this sort of and it's it is similar in scary movie this sort of you know ditzy yeah you know airhead type she does that incredibly well um but i would have liked you know i i I would have liked to see a different sort of performance from her well i i haven't had chance to watch it i funnily enough this morning i saw i think it would have been i think it's like the av club or something it's like an interview She's starring in a film that's, yeah, I guess being released now, but it's um, called uh, The Estate, which stars Tony Collette, Kathleen Turner, David Duchovny. Like, and looks, looks really great. Like, hopefully it's, let's say the, it's, it's a comedy, but it says here, yeah, the synopsis for it. Two sisters attempt to win their terminally ill, difficult to please aunt in hopes of becoming the beneficiaries of her wealthy estate only to find the rest of their greedy family members have the same idea. So kind of... That sounds fun. Good cast. Yeah. Like, and yeah, yeah, there's uh, Ron Livingston's in there as well. So like, that, that, sounds, that sounds like a lot of fun, right? And it's kind of, hopefully, and I know she's, I don't know, she's shined up elsewhere. Like, she's got an, an amazingly successful podcast. And I've, I've listened to a few episodes in the past. And yeah. She is somebody. She's you, very. She's very charming. You root for, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, hundred percent. There's two. There's 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 that. I I think that's why. I think like I, I'm gonna say it. That's why everyone hates Chris Pratt. It's like, how can you leave <laughs> Anna Faris? It's part of the reason. Yeah, she's definitely the. Yeah, she's the of the two of them. Uh, she's the one you root for for sure. Yeah, if you're if you're in a. Yeah. If you're in a custody hearing and you're getting like, do you know what I mean? If you're given that opportunity, you know, like they do in TV and films all the time. If if you're a dog and you're you're given choose that, parents, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> choose which one you want to yeah. go to. It's like I'm going to Dallas Paris any day of the week, like. every time. <laughs> but then, but then, on, but then Chris Pratt would do the Jurassic Park move on you, and you'd be you'd be, you you know he'd put his hand out, yeah, 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 and, yeah. Then, and then you'd be so subdued. <laughs> you'd end up following him but then anyone could do that He's got, I, the man's got powers Anna Faris could do that as, as we learned in Jurassic Park <laughs> Dominion any, any, anyone could do that you don't have to build up a intrinsic link with one dinosaur over a long time you can just do it to any dinosaur and it doesn't matter who you are <laughs> <laughs> um, well Dave is there any other points that we've missed on this film before we kind of uh, put the house bunny to bed I don't, I don't think so. Although I love the phrase "put the house bunny to bed," it's it, it feels very tangential to bring it to bring it back to your the very very original start of your podcast to uh, to Nicolas Cage in Con Air, right? Yeah. Put the put the house bunny to bed. Put, put, yeah, put the house bunny back in the box. That's what I should have said. Fuck, thank <laughs> Dave. Oh. So close. Oh, damn. If only if if only we had the Happy Madison writing team here, we could have got there instead. instead. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I guess like the 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 end of this film is kind of in like I don't know. It's kind of it it, it pans out how you think it's got. There's some last last act kind of contrivances, and there's a bit of tension with the 
you need 30 names, 29 put their hand yeah. up and stuff like that. And then there's the... I mean, it all it all plays out exactly, exactly as you expect. Yeah. you got Shooter McGavin which, which, there, which, like... Oh, yeah, always welcome. <laughs> the... I I'd say like, but I'm okay. I'm okay with I'm okay with a movie that plays out exactly as expected. I but just like, just it just felt like they were doing that and kind of just phoning it in a bit, mm-hmm. right? I feel like and 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 I mean the 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 kind of production and the set pieces here because I think the the actors are all kind of doing their best mm-hmm. with very little. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it very much like from from a point of like Anna Faris, it feels like. Well, if you want this movie made, this is how it's got to get made. Like, you, do you, do you, do you know what I mean? Do you come on the ride or does your film not get made? And I guess that's the kind of et- yeah. eternal struggle with filmmaking a lot of the time anyway. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's like. It's all compromise. Yes. Yeah. yeah, 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 exactly. Um, so, um, yeah, as, as we kind of put this film, put the bunny back in the box, let's, let's, let's finally get that gag in. Let's ignore the fact that we had that whole bit earlier. Uh, <laughs> um, what we do uh, all the time on this podcast, Dave, is we look for Copla connections within the film. So is anyone who worked on this film, either in front of or behind the camera, worked with the Coppola family elsewhere in their filmography at all? Uh I don't know. I don't know, Petros. I didn't do my research on this bit. Don't worry. I've got, I, 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 I've I've only got. Yeah, I'm sure you lined it up. I've got three. I've got three here. Just just some quick ones. I've got Anna Faris is actually in Lost in Translation, which is directed by Sophia Coppola. Is she? Yeah, she. I think she from 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 recollection. I haven't watched it in a few years. I'm kind of holding holding out to rewatch that for when I cover it on the podcast. But from what I remember. She's the person who Scott, uh, Giovanni Rabisi is like cheating on or like kind of flirting with. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, All right. Nice. I didn't put that together. Um, and Emma Stone is in The Amazing Spider-Man, which uh, John Schwartzman was the cinematographer on and is in The Crudes 1 and 2, which obviously Nicolas Cage uh, does the voice of Grug. And Beverly D'Angelo is in the film Dreamland, which uh, stars Jason Schwartzman and is directed by his younger brother, Robert Schwartzman. So a nice little double Coppola connection there. So, Dave, let's rate this film. The way that we do that here is we think of the perfect wine pairing for this film. The Coppolas love their wine. Francis Ford Coppola is paying for a film off the sale of his bloody vineyard. What a guy. Uh, so what would be the perfect wine pairing for the house bunny, Dave? I think this would go well with a nice glass of Lambrini oh. uh, or or like an Echo Falls, you know, rosé. Mm-hmm. We're talking sort of, you know, four euro fifty. Yeah. Lambrini uh, rosé. Mid, yeah. Mid-shelf in Asda. Yeah. Yeah. You want, <laughs> yeah. You, want, you, want, you want something that like, and you want one of those promotional bottles as well that's kind of in that weird plastic wrap, like, and it's kind of really yeah. garish <laughs> yeah, and yeah, pink. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the more garish, the better. You want something like, it's sickly sweet and there's, it's very artificial. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. But there's just, but there is a hint of a grape in there somewhere. Yeah, something you'd be vomiting up in a park, like, during, during your teenage <laughs> yeah. years. Yeah. yeah. That, that 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 feels that feels perfect you want to get id'd buying this basically mm-hmm. yeah. yeah you want to have to have yeah. pestered yeah. an older an older sibling 
or somebody down the shops <laughs> to, yeah. to get it for you or kind of like begged your mum or but like you got got that weak-willed parent in the friend group come on mom i'm watching the 2008 the house bunny <laughs> Me and the, we just want to have fun come on uh, <laughs> yeah that or if we go off of the wine i think yeah this is this has got alco pops written all over it um yeah for sure so dave how much are we paying for this wine is it bottom shelf middle shelf or top shelf oh it's bottom shelf man all the way for me okay Okay, I guess yeah. I don't know. I can't. I there. I had a few involuntary laughs throughout this film, so I I I hesitantly put it on the bottom shelf, but like that, my head saying bottom, my heart saying middle. Like, and, and I'm talking like the lowest. Uh, Go with your heart, Petra. Yeah, it's 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 the lowest. Put it on the middle. It's the lowest shelf on that middle section, right? I'm still. It's it's in the special offer section. Yes. It's got a yellow tag. It's, of on course, it. it's got a yellow tag. It's, yeah. it's got a yellow <laughs> tag. I'm never. If this were a restaurant wine, we're staying on the first page. We're not turning over that page, Dave. <laughs> no. um, so, based on this film alone, I must ask you: Are the Coplas the greatest film family of all time? Based on this film, clear, clearly, they're they're influenced. <laughs> <laughs> they're. <laughs> <laughs> that's what that's partly why why i picked this this film because it was just funny to me that we went from the, you know the godfather to this <laughs> you know there is there is a tangential connection there is um yeah there, there is a whole swath of films like and family members i haven't covered because a lot of the time people are like i don't even know what that is and i i, I found that the fact like i can't even like i'm not sure if, I'd know even know how to watch that here. Like it's kind of like do a tertiary, like <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. just watch. And it's like basically get a, a shrug emoji. <laughs> Question <it>. mark. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so we're going with a yes on that. So yeah. Uh, Matthew Shire doesn't bring shame to the Coppola family. No, he held the, the, the creaky door open. And kept the noise down on set very effectively. I didn't hear a single, a single bit of noise. So production assistant, big tick. Perfect, perfect. Well, before I let you go, I must ask you a couple more questions. The first being, which Coppola family member would you keep? But in doing so, you get rid of the entire filmographies of the rest of the family. It's a good, it's a good question. Um... I think I'm a suck. I'm just a sucker for Jason Schwartzman. I gotta say, because uh, and then I get and then I get it to keep a lot of the Wes Anderson, mm-hmm. pretty much stuff. all of them, bar two. Yeah. So uh, yeah, he's my answer. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And I, I I I think I figured out he's got like the most screen time of all of the the Coplas just because he's done so much TV work as well. He's done like multiple series of yes. Board, board to Death yeah. was a good show that didn't get didn't get any love. Yeah. Yeah. That was and that featured white wine quite heavily. Yeah, well. well that that will soon yeah. be covered on this here podcast at some point. We'll be doing a deep dive oh, into, into Bored to Death. Um Yeah, and I think a season of Fargo as well he, he's in. So yeah, I think he's a, Is he? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, one of the because it's turned it's like an anthology show now, isn't it? So like he plays like some kind of uh mobster in one of in like season three or something oh, fantastic like that. So, <laughs> you get yeah you get a lot of schwartzman for your buck because that's a perfect choice dave um 
I must ask you like the most important question of this podcast, which is what does notorious put Seth Green in a bin, Bill Murray, say to Scott Johansson <laughs> at the end of Lost in Translation? I think um I think now I mentioned Ghostbusters earlier. I'm gonna bring it back to that. I think and considering he's so again ghostbusters or more ghostbusters i think he probably said to her boston does not make me feel good <laughs> maybe something like that they duped like a me. confession it's a, there's a confession sort of vibe to it isn't there yeah they they duped me yeah. to come back for the sequel they told me it was another <laughs> movie shouldn't have done that sequel <laughs> <laughs> amazing well uh on that note dave where can people find you and the fantastic cinema podcast well, we're, uh, if you search the Cinemile, that's uh, C-I-N-E-M-I-L-E. Uh, and we're at the Cinemile on, uh, on Elon Musk's <laughs> platform of choice or, uh, you know, Letterboxd or, you know, uh, wherever you, I was about to say wherever you get your podcasts, but it's, so, it's such a cliche now. You know, but uh, yeah, it, 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 it's a catch-all. It works. It works. It's, it, it works. It, it, it's it works. We're on all the podcast things. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You can, yeah, you can just whisper into the air, and uh, if I'm sure, I'm sure if you if if, if you wander around long yeah. enough, you'll see. And I'll whisper back. Yeah, you'll see Dave and Kathy yeah. wander in the streets at some point. You can listen to it live. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Well, Dave, thank you so much for coming and making some coping connections with me. Thanks, Petros. And there we have it. Episode 55 is in the bank and we have another check mark for the Coppola family. Another vote for yes. Is that, was that a vote for yes? I believe Dave voted for yes. Uh, if I got that wrong, let me know. Uh, another massive thank you to Dave for joining me for this. It was an absolute joy to discuss this film. I know he didn't enjoy it as much as I did, but uh, it's always fun to have these conversations irregardless. Uh, and a massive thanks for you guys for listening. It's always an absolute joy. If you uh, if you enjoyed this film, if you like, um, yeah, if you like the House Bunny, if you agree with us, if you disagree with us, please don't hesitate to get in touch. You can do so by heading over to all of the socials, wherever they may be, which are Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Letterboxd, and TikTok, all at Cages in Pod. Who knows? I might be on some other socials, or maybe I'll drop the. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. You you know the drill, guys. Twitter's up in flames, so so I might be, I might be, I don't know. I'm, I'm gonna go jump ship. Hell no, I'm gonna be there till the bitter end. I'm gonna be the, I'm gonna be clinging onto a door and hoping that there's enough room for two of us. Well, it's only me, so fuck Jack. I'm Rose in this bitch, and I'm I'm I'm, I'm clinging onto that door, and I'm I'm going down with the Titanic, baby. <laughs> so uh, if those of you might be listening to this in the future, or or just live under a rock, yeah, Twitter's kind of imploding in on itself but who knows uh it's, it's been fun it's been a it's been a, it's been a great ride uh, i've recently said to somebody that maybe this podcast doesn't exist about twitter at least with the uh plethora of amazing guests hey for instance i probably wouldn't have spoke to dave today if um i didn't have yeah if if, if i didn't have twitter so 
So look at that. Look at that. It's it's evil. It's a hell sight at times, but it's also been an absolute boon for for this podcast. And yeah, as I said, booking guests and getting to speak to people that I really admire and enjoy their work. And uh, yeah, filmmakers, everyone. Yeah, just just the opportunities I've had through that that website is in insane well enough of that if you want to drop me an email which is something that is sturdy and will not be going anywhere anytime soon you can do so which is cagedinpod at gmail.com something else that won't be going anytime soon and if you want to support this podcast financially you can head on over to patreon.com forward slash caged in pod yeah just give me like a i don't know like a who knows of exchange rates right now give me 50p a month to help me keep the lights on here or a little bit more if you fancy it who knows who knows uh, yeah so you can head on over to patreon and there's yeah there's some great stuff behind that paywall and there will be more soon uh, there's the um movie brat bros series there is some bonus stuff from a lot of the cage episodes there's some other fun little stuff behind there however if you do not wish to part of any money and i totally understand that because we are living through difficult times financially emotionally politically all kind of illies uh yeah it's, it's difficult out there so i totally get it you can head on over to apple podcasts uh, spotify or wherever you're listening to this right now rate and review and um always let me know in your reviews what you think bill murray says to scott johansson at the end of lost in translation who knows the recent allegations about bill murray uh, am i gonna have to change that question is that gonna age like milk is that going to be like, is that going to age like a banana? And people are going to be like, oh, you've been asking that question for so long. And it should be, I'm sorry for my appalling actions to people. Uh, but yeah, still leave a five-star rating and review, irregardless of that maybe uh, now terrible question. So guys, um, as ever, I've been Petros Patsilovus, your guide through the crazy world of the Coppola family tree. Remember to keep it caged in, And I'll catch you next time. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. This podcast is presented by the Breadcrumbs Collective, home of the Pod Charles Cinecast, Caged In Copa Connections, A Droop Town Limery, Maine, Franchised, and many more to come. Our shows are all presented ad-free and made possible by listeners like you. Please support our shows by subscribing, leaving ratings and reviews, and becoming patrons at patreon.com. If you'd like to learn more about Breadcrumbs, head over to breadcrumbscollective.com. Breadcrumbs. It's more than a podcast network. It's family.